folks, and welcome to the Modern Agile Show, episode 38. I am here with my friend David Bland. He's the founder of Precoil, has been in the Agile and Lean field for a long time. And this is his second appearance on the show. Very happy to have David uh, on the occasion of uh, his new book, Testing Business Ideas, uh, co-authored and that is a great accomplishment. Thanks for doing that for the community. Yeah, it was kind of like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how was that? So say more. Uh, oh, just getting out of my head. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's just like you think about it for 10 years and then you spend it your writings. Right, like right. Yeah, well, it's a gorgeous book. So this is, this is the kind of book that you buy. You don't get it on Kindle, in my opinion, because it, it's, it's uh, you said you went you had several graphic designers helping? Yeah, we had three designers and an illustrator all working on the book for uh, quite some time. So yeah, uh, yeah. props to Alan and Alex and all the folks at Strategizer, you know, putting uh, those resources behind it too. It's, it was a lot of work, yeah. Yeah, it, it shows because it's, it's beautifully designed and really visual and it doesn't overwhelm you with tiny print on words, right? It's, it's, uh, it's got a nice balance, so yep. props to you on that. Um, well, wonderful. Uh, what was it like writing the book? Uh, it was interesting. It's a very uh, steep learning curve for me. Uh, I'd stalled out on a couple other books in the past, and then when Alex reached out to me and said we should do this because there's a need in the community for it, um, he didn't really have to convince me. It was just more of, well, how do we work together? Because he's in Switzerland, I'm out here in the Bay Area, our uh, designer, lead designers in Toronto, Canada, and wow. so it was very much like, how does this work? And it was a lot of sticky notes in person and then us, you know, uh, writing from afar and sharing virtually. So uh, it was great. I mean, yeah, it's not like we were far apart on principles of why to do this. It yes. was more of just the flow and, and making sure it's uh, yeah. an easily consumable book. Wonderful. Um, so it's called Testing Business Ideas and there are 44 experiments uh, in here that, yeah. that you can use. It's like a textbook almost. It's got a textbook vibe for it. It's certainly a book we wanted uh, people to come back to and then you know reference, uh, and and that was the whole point. Is like have it be like a field guide. So you could look through a catalog of of ways to experiment and, and find what might fit. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, when I go to work with teams, they do surveys, interviews, maybe a landing page, and that's yeah. kind of it. And so it's like no, there's all these other things that can help you address your risk. Yeah. And so we have, there's like 200 pages of experiments in there. So wow. this is one of the reasons we wrote it. It's like, how do you navigate that and give people more options? Yeah, I see this Wizard of Oz explainer video, um, buy a feature. Yeah, wonderful. Lots of stuff. So um, you have been applying these ideas for years, but mm -hmm. consulting a book is, is really valuable. Are there any stories that stand out to you of where testing ideas really helped a company? Yeah, there are kind of two different types of stories I see time and time again. One is a, a startup where uncertainty is uh, really extreme and they're trying to figure out, is this something I do full time? It might be a side project, you know, it might be something where you and your co-founder are trying to just figure it out. And so one of the stories we have in the book is a startup out here in San Francisco, which is uh, Topology, where they literally like scan your face with a with the phone and then make glasses to measure your face, like exactly customized to your face. Wow. It's a pretty cool startup. Um, but that aside, uh, people don't 
trust it. They don't trust that it'll scan your face properly. They don't trust that glasses will fit. Uh, there's like a desirability risk there, even though it works. And so some of the things they did is, is like in the book, they did a bunch of uh, pop-up stores. So they would run a pop-up store in, in you know downtown San Francisco. They right. would intercept people wearing glasses on the street, ask them like, do these fit well? Why, why not? Do you understand why they don't fit well? Hmm. They could walk people that really um, had the issue like into the store and show them uh, you know, what they do. And you know, they were able to pre-sale some, they were able to get some great qualitative feedback from people. Mm. It was, you know, wow. it's really, but, you, but they ran a series of those pop-up stores yeah. and then they used all the notes like in their landing page and their marketing material. And they started to really test out, you know, what would make or break this company? Because if people don't believe your tech works, yeah. that's a really frustrating point, you know, spot to be in. So was it, it was free. The pop-up store was free or, or people would actually buy Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, uh, people could pre-order, but the thing was they didn't they didn't make sales the point of the pop-up store. Yeah, they this, made learning. The point was the learning yes. and getting people to interact with the app to hear qualitatively what kind of concerns they had. Yeah, awesome. So the But the technology for actually scanning your face, was that something that at, at one point that was an idea? Did they validate that one as well? Did they... Yeah, they spent. They probably spent too much time on that idea part oh. of it, right? Because they make it. They make the tech work, but then if people yeah. don't trust it or there's no business model, you still kind of overall fail, right? Right. So we we have these themes in the book from design thinking of desirable, you know, viable, feasible. Yes. If you spend all your time in feasibility, making sure the tech works, but people don't trust it, yeah, you fail. Or if people trust it and you can't make money, mm -hmm. you still fail, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so. Basically, pop-up stores. That's one of the one of the forty-four. Is that? Yeah, and then some of the others, uh, other in the spectrum. You know, some global insurance companies are in the book. Um, you know, American Family Insurance is in there, where they talk about. You know, they want to do insurance for farmers, mm. but you know, how do you test that? Uh, how do you get to farmers? By the way, like, you drive up to their farm. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. uh, sometimes Google ads, Facebook, Twitter isn't always the way to your customer. And so what they ended up doing, um, although they tried that stuff, they went into like conventions where farmers were and they had you know brochures that yeah. explained the offering, the value prop. Ah. And they used that with a call to action in their conversations with farmers. So mm. it's really interesting you know, when you work with companies that have been around for a long time yeah. that have an established brand, yes. they can also use these techniques. Right. It's just, right. you just have to be mindful about it and not do things that, you know, damage or destroy your brand while you're trying to test out these these new ideas. Right, right. And I, did you talk in here about off-brand testing and stuff like that? A little bit. Um, you know, basically, I have a little flow chart in there, but I've worked with some companies out here in the Bay Area where, you know, we essentially said, we don't want to put our brand on this right away. Yeah. We could do a little, like, powered buy here at the bottom, but right. we just wanted to see. Yeah. Is, is this, this stand on its legs at all before we throw our branding behind it? Right. And um, the ones that worked, we brought on-brand. The yeah. ones that didn't, we just killed and they went away and mm. nobody cared <laughs> because they didn't solve a real problem anyway. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, I mean, I'm just, I, I love catalogs of stuff because it just like, it just draws me in and I'm, I'm seeing what you're talking about. These stories, they map directly to your 44, you know, instruments, if you will, or experiments. Yeah, and so we've categorized them by theme. So yeah. desirable, viable, feasible. Yes. Uh, a big learning for me writing the book was I thought I can neatly just say here all your desirability and your viability and your feasibility. Of but course, that didn't work. No, there's overlap. Because uh, you could do like if you did a concierge. Yes. You could be testing price with it. You could be 
testing demand, like desirability, does it solve a need? You could also be testing, can you do it by manually going through it because yeah. you're manually delivering it to somebody. Yeah. So uh, it, it could do all three. So yeah. we had to like rearrange the book in a way where the themes matter, but it's mm -hmm. also, uh, it's more categorized around discovery and validation. But yeah. overall, um, we just try to give people options of what to choose when they have a certain kind of risk. Mm. Really interesting. I mean, uh, this is very valuable. So, I mean, again, I, I really appreciate it. I, we, in Industrial Logic, we make our own little products every now and then, and we put stuff out there and we see what happens. We've done a lot of concierge MVPs. So, you know, just a whole lot of back end processing by hand to give some data to a customer and say, would this be interesting to you in the future? Um, sometimes, though, I found we have killed an experiment prematurely. Um, and what I've learned sometimes is sometimes it has nothing to do with the evidence. It has to do with people in the company wanting to do their own agenda sometimes. And that is a really interesting thing I hadn't been thinking about too much. Because late we're about to resurrect something we killed about five years ago. And we're going, that probably, it's, we're seeing a need for it right now with our customers. Yeah. We saw the need five years ago. Somewhere we killed it, and I, as I look back, I'm like, yeah, that's when the certain person was here, and he wanted to do something totally different. Yeah, um, sometimes the market changes too. Like, uh, maybe we should say park instead of kill. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, because sometimes I work with I like the team, that. the tech just won't be there, you know? Yeah. And we had some fit, but it was like, no. And, and so maybe we kill it, but at the same time, I remember reaching out to these people years later on this one team and saying, Hey, remember that thing we killed? Uh, it looks like Apple's doing this now. <laughs> like, maybe we should bring it back. You know, yeah. so sometimes, yeah, uh, part, part yeah but agendas certainly play a part because you know, if you're just gonna test it and set the bar really low, just so you can build it anyway, uh, yeah. you have to be careful of that for sure. Right. That's not real testing. It's not yeah. experiment, but you can't fail. Right. Right. <laughs> so. So you're into evidence-based, like let's really get evidence. This is a book for people that want evidence. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, or at least, um, I hate to say data-driven, but at least they're data-influenced. Okay, so that, so that always brings up this concept of what about intuition? Yeah. How does intuition play in to something like this? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of training your intuition, but you also have a vision, you have an idea. So where the book starts and stops, it's very much I didn't make an ideation book about where ideas come from. It's a, yeah. I have an idea, how do I shape it and test it? I so see. having a big vision, I think still is a major part of this. Yeah. But then being open to testing that vision against reality and right. then shaping it because you may end up in a different segment or with a different solution. Mm. And I think so many of these success stories we see and we read in Wired, and all, we've kind of whitewashed the history of well, that started off as a game became before it became, you know, like Flickr, right? It's like, this thing started off as something completely different, but then they ended up being really successful over here. Mm -hmm. And that's a very winding journey. So, yes. um, so yeah, I do, I intuition plays a part, vision plays a big part too. Yeah. And it's not just a spreadsheet where whatever the numbers show, you just go that way. It, you do have to have some balance for sure. Got it, got it. So thinking back to like a company like Zappos when they first started selling shoes, mm -hmm. would that be, how would you map that to one of these experiments or, or to multiples of them? It's really interesting because that story, it gets mapped to so many different kinds of experiments over yeah, time. Yeah. But really what he did was behind the scenes, like I'm literally gonna go purchase these and, and ship them, right? right yeah. And he I took think, photos of them. He took photos of them at an actual shoe store and said, hey, yeah. is that okay? I'm, I'll buy them if people buy them online. 
I think it's it's really interesting because it comes back to okay when you when he delivers those shoes to people is it a white glove obvious he's delivering this or is it more behind a digital curtain where it seems like oh I just ordered the shoes and they showed up and I think that's where yeah. you can start thinking about you know um, like a boomerang test and also concierge and Wizard of Oz and all these different types yeah I try not to get too wrapped up in the types but yeah yeah what you learn from that experience I do think is slightly different if he hand delivers shoes to you versus it's never really sure if he's doing that behind the scenes and you're just getting the shoes you want. Mm -hmm. And so I do think... Um, it's also like a pop-up store too, right? Because he, yeah. he kind of just threw up this website, didn't really have anything, but he yeah. you know, had a way to provide it. One thing I have taken though in consideration with that story and stories like that is sometimes people say, oh, you just take a picture of a website and then you throw your brand on it and then it, it, you test it. And I feel like maybe I'm biased, but the companies I work with that's a great way to get sued. Like if you just took LinkedIn or yeah. Payless or whatever yeah. and threw your logo and say, this is my store now. It's, it's there's something, yeah. I feel like I really want people to test ideas, but at the same time, I do want us to have a moral compass. Right. And I am really sensitive to this anyway now because of like fake news and everything else that's going on in the world. Sure. So I, in the book, do explicitly say like, Please don't just take a site and throw your logo on and say it's your site now. I, right, just to see what it does. Yeah, you yeah. could certainly take customers and competitive, like, point them at that site and do competitive testing. Right. That I, I'm fine with because you're literally like pointing customers to it and watching how they behave with it. But there's mm -hmm. something not yeah quite right with me. Yeah. When I see people say, "Why well, don't I just take that logo, my logo, and put it on?" It's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find it as well. Like I, I used to, the motto used to be, you know, know thy customer, and, and and you know that means get to know your customer, right? Which we would say is probably a good thing, except that some companies go way too far, right? And you've closed the app, and they're still tracking your location or you know <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like, no, you've gone way too far about knowing the customer here. Yeah, I, I put a page in here, uh, a spread where we talked about ethics, right? And we say. Um, Basically, don't be evil. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know, like, probably you, like you, uh, my first startup I joined was in the 90s, dot com craze, but there was this term like vaporware that kept coming up oh, time yeah. and time again. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that was people selling stuff they had probably no intention of ever building. And I don't want to recreate that atmosphere, you know, today. Yeah. I, I want to say, look, before you jump to build, which is what we do too often, yeah. can we just test our way through this to make sure we're even on the right track? Right. And I do think that's different than saying, I'm gonna you know, try to take advantage of people. And so I do try to call that out in the book. Um, yeah. And then things like fake testimonials on pages and things like, okay, maybe there was a time where startups just felt like that's how I get customers, but now I'm like, should you really be putting fake testimonials on your page? Like, yeah. you, even if they think you're biasing people signing up because they see a bunch of fake people that signed up. Like, it's, right. it's we got to be careful with the techniques. Is probably what I'm trying to say. Makes great sense. Um, the uh, I guess the the build trap, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Melissa Perry's book. Um, yeah. she's also like, obviously saying, "Don't just go build stuff." Um, this is a wonderful guide to helping you not waste a lot of time and energy, right? Building things that no one wants. Yeah, I've worked at a couple startups that did that, mm -hmm. and that's probably why I'm really biased. Because <laughs> yeah. if you've lived through that, yeah, you uh, don't really want to go through that again. Yeah. So yeah. nights and weekends, sleeping at my desk at a startup, uh, <laughs> building stuff that nobody cared about, and it didn't matter how beautiful it looked. I'm trying to help people learn from uh, my mistakes yes. in that regard. Well, we've all done this. I mean, every one of us. And uh, it, it, it sort of relates to Modern Agile's principle of make safety a prerequisite. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that is something that uh, we say, you know, it's a prerequisite, meaning you have to have thought about it beforehand. Think about how could you de-risk things. Like, I, I, this seems a lot about risk management to me. It, it is. I think uh, also can leaders create an environment where it's safe to work this way? Yes. So if they say experiment but don't fail, yeah. then that's not a safe environment where you can actually go back and, and work through this and decrease risk and uncertainty. So yeah. I do think um, what I'm trying to give leaderships a little more awareness of, you need to create an environment where this kind of work can flourish. Yeah. Because otherwise you design a team, they have all the right behaviors, but if they're in an environment where they're not allowed to work this way or they can't get to the customer, um, it's going to stall out and fail. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, coming back to Modern Agile, I think this environment design, safety, um, goes really hand in hand with experimentation because again, yeah. it's not experiment if it can't fail or if you're not allowed to fail. It yeah. it's, it's really pulls at that thread of what's leadership or culture look like in your company. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if I this is so great because experimental learn rapidly. Now we can point to a book like this and just go, yeah, that's have that book because that's clearly in there. But you're saying it's it's in the other quadrants as well. Yep. Safety, don't waste time building stuff no one wants. And, uh, and create a culture that enables this type of thing. So talk about delivering value continuously. Is that a factor to this? Is that, do you think of that factoring in? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an element of rapid experimentation here. And yes. so let's say you did like an experiment a week. Um, yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean you, you get a phase and you stop yeah. and then you just deliver. <laughs> like, there's some, I, I tell people a capacity plan for this kind of work right. and the, the percent should never be zero. Yeah. <laughs> so. You should be delivering value, but also testing. When someone says, hey, it's this new feature I want, and you're like, what's the job behind that feature, and can you help explain the why, instead of just adding that feature to the backlog and delivering it, right? right. So, mm. um, yeah, and then I think also making people awesome, it really taps into people's creativity. Yeah. So you, you go to your team and you say, how, do, how would we test this? And you give them space to actually be creative and do that. Right. It's amazing right. what happens, because these folks, yeah. often aren't allowed to be creative or yeah. aren't given space to do it. Who is that? So who does that? Who would you say are the people that are empowered to do the experimentation? Well, I still come back to Agile with regards to, you know, having product uh, design and technology leadership in the mix yes. to help create an environment where this can happen. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I push it down onto the team for the most part and say, all right, team, there's stuff in your backlog you're worried about. How do we go test that? Right. And rather than have them just kind of not talk about it and keep delivering stories, yeah, yeah. which can feel kind of like a feature factory in extent uh, yeah. or a hamster wheel. Right. And so, right. So it could be the whole team. It could be uh, anyone's empowered to, to do this testing. Yeah, I recommend, uh, I'd be careful with the whole um, dual track agile with creating a little discovery team that only does this work, I try to rotate people through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, a good developer, I mean, developers are smart. Testers are smart. Lots, lots of smart people. Yep. Analysts are smart. People can learn to, to test business ideas, right? And you're probably going to need multiple people in the experiment anyway. Um, developers take amazing notes. So pair them with somebody conducting an interview and that just rotate that through. They don't feel empowered to have to conduct it but they can take amazing notes and so, and they get that context. So right. there are all kinds of creative ways where you can kind of share it. Yeah, and, we, team. and if, if a, let's say, a, I'm not a big fan of the term product owner, but let's say product management, if they're coming with potential uh, ideas to, to implement, 
if they're not aware of these things, then they wouldn't even know some technique for like quickly experimenting and maybe invalidating the idea. So they really need to know this stuff. And they do. If a developer comes along and says, did you know we could actually test that before we build it? You know, wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I think what I'm seeing inside companies is they're just giving this book to product people and saying, look, we need to read this. Um, yeah. Any new product person we hire needs to read it just so we're aware of what we have available. So what is the biggest challenge in terms of becoming good at this? <laughs> it's biases. It's almost always biases. Um, you know, if you want to do it anyway, you're going to weed out stuff that contradicts what you want to do. Yeah. Um, mm, so I give some tips in the book to say, please do this stuff in groups. Like here are mm. some traps to look out for. Mm. Uh, some of the ones we see in Agile, take on too many things at once. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of long running things that never finish properly. Um, we make our biases right into it. So a lot of this stuff, we could take what we learned from Agile and apply it here and like put a whip limit on how many experiments we have running, make sure we finish, learn, and feed that learning back in. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's like you can make it through the loop once. The biggest challenge is like how do you do it multiple and keep going? And it's, it takes time. So this is very different from just giving the team user stories. This is saying, we have this idea, we think this would be useful, but we're open-minded to maybe learning that it's not, or that it is, and we have evidence that it is. So very different from saying, go build this. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, to me, that's, mo that's more modern style agile versus the old days of here's the backlog of user stories, go build it in two week, two week increments. You know? Yeah, so I want people to have a healthy skepticism of the work. If you look at that user story and you say, have we ever talked to that user? Do we have any idea that this is what they want? Is this good for us to do as a company? Uh, is this aligned to our vision? Can we do like? Yeah. I feel like sometimes with Agile, we only um, focus on the can we question feasibility. Right. And we're great at that. We're great right. at taking something and saying, can we break this down and build it? But I think in, in the, we also need to think about who it's for and can we actually make this sustain? And, yeah. and those are tests we can run to. Right. So you have the test cards and the learning cards. Can you say more about those? Uh, yeah, we're just building off. So Alex Osterwalder and myself, my co-author, uh, we're just building off a lot of the great work he's already done. Yes. So um, value prop canvas, business model canvas, test cards, learning cards, using things to frame how you're going to run through this exercise and bounce from like strategy to tests and then uh, back and forth. So the business model canvas has been around the longest, I guess, and that, that had a huge impact. And then it was followed with the, the value proposition um, work. Yes, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then how does that factor into your assumption mapping? So basically, uh, one of the challenges I see with people when they uh, have canvases is they're not sure what to do next with it. Right. And uh, in the previous books, we said like stack rank, and, but basically what I said is write down your assumptions, like we believe that, dot, dot, dot. Do a two by two exercise, which is assumptions mapping, which is something I learned from Jeff Gothelf and Josh Seiden, which I just folded design thinking into it. Uh, and I played with the labels over the years with teams. And do a two by two of those things you just wrote down. Where's your risk? Is it desirability risk, viability risk, feasibility risk? Mm -hmm. And then what kind of experiments would you map to that to, to go run to learn about the risk? I and see. so um, surveys are great, interviews are great, but they don't always generate the learning that you need. And so we were just trying to fill in that gap between here are canvases and here are experiments people want to run. but. How do you actually focus on the most important thing? Got um, it. Got so yeah, very much canvas, two by two experiment. Like yeah. That's the flow. Very simple, yeah. Very, very good. Well, um, gosh, this has been awesome. Um, so your, 
you know, this book is uh, basically now available on Amazon and everywhere else. It's been out for a month, trending one in entrepreneurship and economics right now. So I'm very excited about that. Um, so it's been received yeah. pretty well. And so this is actually useful, again, for software people, but also people who aren't in the software field. People building right. glasses for folks and um, making all kinds of products. My so. favorite experience right now is uh, people asking what I do. I say I help test business ideas, and they go, I got a business idea. <laughs> <laughs> I happened at the dentist last week. It happens everywhere. So uh, it's really interesting. It's not a lack of ideas, but how do you, what do you do with that idea? And I hope this book kind of helps people take it forward and figure it out. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on your second appearance, and congratulations again on this wonderful new book, Testing Business Ideas. Go out and buy it. Um, thanks again, and uh, hope yeah. to have you back another time. Thanks yeah. for having me. If you enjoyed this uh, edition, please share it with friends. Talk about the Modern Agile Show and share it out out wide. We are uh, we're coming here regularly with awesome speakers and writers and thinkers to bring you some of the gems from the Agile and, and Lean field. Thanks again for watching. Mm -hmm.